Welcome. You are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. Thank you for joining us for Hobby Radio. My name is Keith, amateur radio operator W0NX. The following articles are from the June 2022 The Spectrum Monitor, and we'll begin by finishing the remainder of SDR Sharp and SDR Console, two feature-rich software options for SDRs, by Robert Gully, K4PKM. ADSB, FlightAware, and Plane Plotter Integration. SDR Sharp offers integration with the ADSB decoder in embedded ARM boards to receive automatic dependent surveillance broadcast ADSB signals from aircraft allowing flight path tracking. The AirSpy website has instructions for Raspberry Pi computer usage with their Spy server software for Linux and Windows as well as performance tweaking suggestions. This includes integration suggestions for FlightAware, PiAware, and PlanePlotter, two very popular ADSB tracking programs. This brings up an important point for both pieces of SDR software concerning adaptability to work with plugins and other pieces of software. One of the modern miracles of SDR radios is an agreement among manufacturers to standardize on signal output, and this has allowed developers around the world to add elements to existing hardware and software without reinventing the wheel. Which to choose? So, now comes the all-important question. Which software to choose? I have some good news along that front and some bad news. First, the bad news. I can't tell you which software will work best for you. These are two very strong, highly capable programs with a very different approach to operation and function. No one, regardless of their level of claimed expertise, can tell you which software is better. It's not even as simple as Ford versus Chevy, or perhaps more analogous, BMW versus Mercedes. This would be more like driving an automatic transmission versus driving a stick shift. Or in computer terms, Mac versus Windows. You get the idea. On the plus side, unlike the BMW versus Mercedes or Mac versus Windows, both software suites are free to download and use, with SDR Console asking for a donation if you like the program. I gladly donated just for features in this program, not found in others, which will likely become useful in my future radio experiments. Spend time with both programs on your computer and switch between them for a while, doing what you normally like to do with your radio time. Then look at features each program has and think about what future things you might like to try and see which program works best for your needs. Finally, don't discount keeping both programs and switching between them as the need or desire arises. Neither one is so complicated you cannot learn their basic functionality, and the more you use each program, the more intuitive they will become. That's my plan. 
my take. With the above comments in mind, I felt it only fair to give you my impressions of both programs. With the ever-present reminder, this is only my take, not to be construed as any sort of recommendation for one program over another. As I have already stated, I will be using both programs for different features and projects. In terms of ease of use, particularly as a newcomer to the two programs, I believe SDR Sharp allows one to get up and running with some level of confidence faster than SDR Console. For me at least, the interface and controls are more intuitive. Having said that, I will also quickly say that once past the initial learning curve of SDR Console and starting to learn how it thinks, I feel reasonably comfortable with moving around in the program and using its basic functions. I particularly like its memory storage and favorites layout, as well as the pre-made multiple display options across bands and modes. In terms of signal manipulation, I would again go with SDR Sharp for ease of use and function, particularly the co-channel canceller feature, sometimes referred to as passband filtering in other programs. For the person wanting to primarily listen for single frequencies or explore individual bands and modes, SDR Sharp is easy to use, quite capable to manipulate both audio and IF processing, and gives the user more than he or she will likely need, especially considering the vast number of third-party plugins available for the software. Here's why I will also keep SDR Console. For pure power and extended capabilities, this software is hard to beat at any level. Having used radio-specific software for the ELAD FDM-S2, I can say SDR Console is definitely a powerhouse in terms of multiple band monitoring, recording, and analyzing. Add to this the extended features such as satellite tracking, data repeater, where the SDR data IQ is available for third-party programs via a UDP stream, trunk voice following for public service scanning, and digital decoding, among other things. And this software is incredibly useful for many aspects of the radio hobby which I enjoy. I am very glad I do not have to choose one over the other. Both programs fill my varying needs quite nicely. You may find the same is true, or you may decide one program or the other fits the bill. Either way, enjoy the process and give these programs a serious look. I do not believe you could be disappointed with either of them. And now, Amateur Radio Satellites by Keith Baker, KB1SF, VA3KSF, KB1SF at yahoo.com. Spotlight on the APRS satellites. In my last few installments of the column, I've been highlighting the many ways for you to get in on the fun of satellite operating, as well as sharing information on some of the international organizations that make it all happen. 
In this installment, I'll shine the spotlight on a whole series of satellites that were built and launched specifically for the Automatic Packet Reporting System, APRS. APRS is the brainchild of Bob Bruninga, WB4APR, who was a senior research engineer at the United States Naval Academy, who unfortunately became a silent key earlier in 2022. As you might guess, the acronym APRS was derived from the suffix of his amateur radio call sign. Bob also officially filed both the full name of his concept as well as the acronym as registered U.S. trademarks. What is APRS? As many amateur radio operators well know, APRS is an amateur radio-based system for real-time digital communication of information that can include Global Positioning System GPS coordinates, weather station telemetry, and text messages. APRS data can also be displayed on a map, which can show stations and objects, along with the tracks of moving objects, as well as search and rescue and or direction finding data. In Bob's words, APRS is a two-way tactical real-time digital communications system between all assets in a network sharing information about everything going on in the local area. Satellite Beginnings For many years since its introduction as yet another ham radio activity, ham radio operators actively embraced Bob's brainchild. However, up to that point, it was primarily a terrestrial-based activity. So back in the mid-1990s, when I was then part of the Radio Amateur Satellite Corporation, AMSAT, leadership, I recall Bob and I having a passing conversation at that year's Dayton Hamvention. Bob wanted our permission to try running APRS through one of our satellites. At the time, our AO-16 PACSAT, one of the four original packet satellites launched back in 1990 and which was owned by AMSAT, was orbiting virtually unused as most store and forward packet satellite work had already moved on to the higher throughput FM PACSATs, UO-22 and KO-23. AO-16 was initially designed primarily as an experimental satellite, whose transponder suite used an odd combination of digital FM and SSB cross-band emissions. I also vividly remember taking Bob's request back to our AMSAT board of directors for discussion. A long-held tradition from the earliest days of the AMSAT Oscars was to designate Wednesdays as experimenter days. Clearly, what Bob and his crew wanted to try with APRS on AO-16 fit that definition perfectly. I'd like to think the results of those initial and highly successful experiments running APRS data through AO-16 laid a firm foundation for Bob's later work at putting APRS transceivers on the NASA Space Shuttle, 
as well as the Russian Mir and International Space Station, ISS. In addition, as you will also see, those humble beginnings led to a whole series of APRS satellites that were later developed, launched, and controlled by Bob and his crew at the U.S. Naval Academy. PCSAT NO44 Bob's first dedicated APRS satellite was the PCSAT, which became Navy Oscar 44 NO44 on orbit. It was launched on September 30th, 2001 at 0240 Zulu aboard the Kodiak Star, a Lockheed Martin Athena-1 launch vehicle. This was the first launch from the Kodiak Island, Alaska launch complex. NO-44 was one of four payloads on this launch, which was a collaborative effort between NASA and the U.S. Department of Defense. Bob, along with U.S. Navy midshipmen, built NO-44 in Bob's U.S. Naval Academy laboratory. NO-44 was the first satellite to directly report its precise position to users via its onboard GPS module. Unfortunately, battery issues caused problems on the satellite, resulting in periods where it would need to be reset three times a year. Ultimately, NO-44's mission was declared at an end on April 26, 2003, and deceased on July 17th, although this seemed a bit premature. The satellite was alive and well in September of the same year, and was again functional for the period of September 13th to October 9th, 2003. Since that time, there have been numerous attempts to fully recover the satellite, but those attempts have now all but stopped. Much like AO7, NO44 remains on and active when conditions are favorable for sunlight, usually in midday passes, although by the time it moves about 30 to 45 minutes into eclipse, the power drops and the satellite shuts down. PSAT NO84 Parkinson-SAT PSAT was launched May 20, 2015 on an Atlas V launch vehicle from Cape Canaveral, Florida and was later designated as NO84 on orbit. The satellite was also built at the U.S. Naval Academy and was named for Bradford Parkinson, the so-called father of the GPS system. The satellite was part of the AF-SPC-5 launch and was deployed from an Ultrasat deployer along with 10 other CubeSats. The satellite operated on a 145.825 MHz 1200 baud APRS uplink and a PSK-31 downlink on 435.35 MHz with 300 milliwatts of power. As a small CubeSat, it provided over six years of service to the amateur radio community. Sadly, the orbit decayed, and the last downlink of its PSK-31 transponder was recorded on December 22, 2021, at 14.40 UTC. BRICSAT NO83 
Brickset, which was renamed Navy Oscar 83, or NO 83 on orbit, was yet another U.S. Naval Academy student satellite that was launched along with PSAT, but suffered from a negative power budget which made it unable to support all of its primary missions. It was a 1.5U CubeSat and contained an APRS packet radio communications transponder for remote telemetry, sensor and user data from remote users, and amateur radio environmental experiments. It used a crossband AX25 packet radio VHF UHF mode VU transponder as well as an HF-UHF-PSK-31 uplink and downlink. Sadly, this satellite has also since been decommissioned. PSAT-2, NO-104. PSAT-2, which became Navy Oscar, or NO-104, on orbit, was yet another experimental APRS satellite built by midshipmen at the U.S. Naval Academy and developed in collaboration with the Technical University of Brno in the Czech Republic. PSAT-2 was launched on June 25, 2019, on a SpaceX Falcon Heavy from Kennedy Space Center in Florida as part of Mission STP-2, Space Test Program 2. It was one of the 24 satellites to be launched on that mission. In August of 2019, the VHF payload failed and control of the satellite was lost. Then, after nearly two years of downtime, the payload mysteriously reactivated on April 26, 2021, and control was regained. Unfortunately, it too has since gone totally silent. Shuttle, Mir, and Eris. Beginning when ham astronaut Ron Paris, WA4SIR, Silent Key, added APRS to his Shuttle Amateur Radio Experiment, SAREX, missions on the U.S. Space Shuttle. APRS-capable equipment had been carried aboard the Russian Mir space station and has since become a popular emission mode on the ISS. There, ISS packet operation relies on either the Ericsson or the Kenwood D700S radios now installed on board. When the latter radio is in its autonomous mode, it also gives schools and students ham radio access to the ISS without depending on the very busy schedule of the astronauts and cosmonauts. In 2007, the ISS packet operation switched to the global APRS channel of 145.825 to join the constellation of other AX25-1200 baud packet digipeters, and it remains active to this day. The very latest information about the long history of APRS and its use as a part of the amateur radio satellite fleet can be found at APRS.org. Then, click on any of the links contained under the APRS Satellite Projects header. A final word. Bob Bruninga became a silent key in early February 2022 
having succumbed to the combined effects of cancer and COVID-19. Any way you cut it, during his amateur radio career, Bob made a major positive impact on both amateur radio and the world by almost single-handedly creating yet another absolutely brilliant application of the radio art. I was honored to have called him not only a personal friend, but also a long-standing friend of AMSAT. Bob, may you rest in peace, and ad astra. And finally, VHF and Above by Joe Lynch, N6CL. N6CL at vhfandabove.com. How to rejuvenate your local club. In the aftermath of the COVID pandemic, many clubs that stopped meeting have had a hard time restarting. The following plan I have developed for rejuvenating your amateur radio club could be a good summer project. With two popular contests, June VHF QSO party and field day occurring this month, you have the stimulus for bringing in your inactive members to a planning meeting for setting up stations for one or both outdoor amateur radio operations. After the contest, you may have the willingness among your participants for restarting your local amateur radio club. A natural question to ask is, what do we do next? Below is a change process that uses appreciative inquiry that you can use to work through the restart of your club. Most change processes assume a negative approach by viewing the situation as a problem and then attack the problem from the point of solving the problem. That is, the problem is identified and then people brainstorm various solutions to the problem until the solution with the most noise gets adopted, sometimes only to shut up the noise-making supporters. The problem with this method is that rarely is there buy-in by the whole group because it isn't the group's idea. There is another approach that does have buy-in because of its approach and the process by which it is carried out. It is called Appreciative Inquiry, or AI for short. The AI process originated as a research idea for a dissertation for David Cooperwriter a Ph.D. candidate at Case Western Reserve University in the mid-1980s. After his successful defense of his idea and earning his Ph.D. degree, Cooper Ryder and many others have taken the AI process all over the world with great results. Unlike other change processes that focus on the problem, the AI process focuses on the positive and builds from that approach. Here is how it can work for your club. In its most used form, there are four components to the AI process. Discovery, Dream, Design, and Destiny. As with differing components, there are also differing methods for bringing about the process. Here is how I see it working for your club. I recommend that you lead your club through each of these four components as stages during a set of four regularly scheduled meetings. Introducing AI to your club. There is something very important that must be done before getting started. 
For the process to work, there must be buy-in of the process by a significant majority of your active members. That means those who used to regularly attend your club's meetings must also be on board with the process. Therefore, before you get the process underway for your club, you might want to have a night of introduction where you explain what is happening. Then, at the end of your presentation, it is important that your club adopt the plan for implementing the process by way of a vote for it. Thank you for joining us for Hobby Radio. My name is Keith. If you enjoyed this program, please register for our free services at www.aincolorado.org or by calling 303-786-7777.